the Bible calls Jesus a man of sorrows. And if you had to pinpoint one moment during his time on this earth when he was experiencing his deepest anguish, you would probably point to the text that we are going to study together this morning. We have been working our way through seven sayings from Jesus on the cross. The gospel writers record that as Jesus hung on the cross from nine in the morning to three in the afternoon, he said seven things. And we are taking those seven statements one by one leading up to Easter Sunday to prepare our hearts to worship the resurrected Lord on that day. And we've come to the fourth saying from the cross, and it's found in Matthew chapter 27. We're going to begin reading in verse 45. Matthew chapter 27, verse 45. I want to ask you this morning, if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. And just a reminder... God's Word is truth with no mixture of error. I'm grateful for the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. Aren't you glad for your Bible today? Matthew chapter 27, verse 45, the Bible says, Now from the sixth hour, that's noon, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour, that's 3 p.m., And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Let's pray together this morning. Father, we are grateful for your presence today. You are here, you are with us, you meet with your people You inhabit the praises of your people, and we are so grateful for that. And Lord, we just pray that you would just manifest your presence in a very tangible way in our lives. Holy Spirit of God, would you illuminate our hearts that this passage we're going to study today might just come alive and grip our hearts and transform us. As we come face to face with the darkest moment that Jesus experienced on the earth. So have your way in our midst. Would you, Holy Spirit, help me, empower me in this moment. And would you anoint the hearers that we might, we might understand your word and we might seek to live according to your word when we leave this building today. We love you. We praise you. We are grateful for your shed blood. And I ask that you would establish my steps in your word. And we ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. The Bible records that Jesus was nailed to the cross at 9 a.m., on that hill called Golgotha. And at noon, the Bible records here in verse 45, that there was darkness over the land. 
I believe we are to understand this darkness as supernatural darkness, darkness sent by God, which was a reflection or a symbol of the spiritual darkness of that moment as Jesus Christ hung there on the cross, suspended between heaven and earth, dying for sinners. And in these last moments, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, before Jesus breathed his last, Jesus made four statements from the cross. Over the next four weeks, we're going to unpack these four statements. First he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Then he said, as John records, I thirst. And then he said, it is finished. And right before he died, he cried out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Four things said at the very last moments before he died on the cross. And I want us to zero in together today on this statement we just read together. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There are two major things I want you to see related to this statement from the cross. First of all, the fourth saying of Jesus from the cross was a cry of anguish. A cry of anguish. It says there, about the ninth hour, verse 46, Jesus cried out. He cried out with a loud voice. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That's a mixture of Hebrew and Aramaic. And it's translated here for us. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did Jesus cry out in this way on the cross? Well, Jesus was experiencing the physical emotional and spiritual anguish of separation from God the Father. That's what was happening on the cross. Jesus was experiencing that separation from his Father. It's interesting to note that in verse 46, he does not call God Father. He just says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's interesting because as you trace the the life and ministry of Jesus Christ, when he refers to God throughout his ministry, he calls him all the time Father. But here, in this moment, hanging on the cross, he does not call him Father. I believe this is an indication that their intimate relationship had been broken for a time. You see... To to get the full import of what Jesus says here, you need to understand something of the doctrine of the Trinity. The Bible teaches that there is one God. We are monotheistic. One God. And that one God is one in essence of nature and essence. And the Bible teaches that that the one God exists in three co-equal, co-eternal persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And have you ever wondered what God was up to before creation. Because, you know, God never came into being. He's always been there, right? So what was he doing in eternity past? What was he doing before creation came into existence? The the answer is this. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit were enjoying perfect communion and relationship with one another 
for all of eternity. That's the, the kind of closeness that Jesus experienced with his Father. And now, and now, at this moment on the cross, there's this, there's this brokenness, this, this rupture, this fracture in his relationship, his eternal relationship with the Father. So he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? C.J. Mahaney writes, He who for all eternity has never been alone is now wholly abandoned. Such utter desolation has never even existed before in all eternity because of the infinite love and fellowship of the Trinity which can never be broken. But now, the incarnate Son must be forsaken by the Father because the Father is holy. Jesus doesn't just feel forsaken, He is forsaken. In an unfathomable mystery, at that moment as God's wrath is poured upon Him as the substitute for our sin, Jesus is rejected by God. His Father turns away from Him. Now, the question arises, why specifically does the Father turn away from the Son? Why is Jesus forsaken in this moment? Well, let me give you three answers to that question. First of all, Jesus became sin. You need to understand the cross. On the cross, Jesus Christ took on the sin of humanity. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he who knew no sin, Jesus Christ was perfect and sinless. He who knew no sin became sin for us. That means every wicked thing that you and I have ever done or thought or said, Jesus took it on himself on the cross. He became that sin so he could die for that sin. Every sin that's ever been committed in human history Every act of vile wickedness, every transgression against a holy God, Jesus became that sin on the cross. And Habakkuk says that God is too pure to even look upon evil. So as Jesus Christ becomes sin, as Jesus Christ takes the sins of the world upon himself, the Father who cannot look upon that evil turns away. And Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus became sin. Secondly, the reason that the Father turned away is because Jesus became a curse. Listen to what Paul writes in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10 and verses 13 and 14. He writes, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. This verse shows us the absurdity of trying to earn your salvation. You know, there are folks out there who say, I'm going to just try to do better and make my life better, and I'm going to try to keep God's commandments, and if I do good enough, perhaps God will accept me. Paul says, The moment you disobey God, 
you are under a curse. So if you plan on working your way to heaven, you better get it right. In other words, you better be perfect. Because if you fall short of perfection, and hey, we all do, then you are under a curse because you have disobeyed the holy law, the holy standard, the holy commandments of a holy God. And so working your way to heaven is not going to get the job done. So if we've all disobeyed God and we're all cursed by God, living under that curse, do we have any hope? Paul writes, Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, listen, by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curse is everyone who is hanged on a tree. And so here's how Jesus came to rescue us. He became a curse in our place. Now, the biblical idea of, of, of a curse is interesting. If you read Deuteronomy, uh, curses are juxtaposed with, with God's blessing. So a curse is the opposite of a blessing. If you've disobeyed God's law, instead of expecting God's blessing, you can expect God's curse, the opposite of blessing, disfavor with God. And so when it says that Jesus Christ became a curse for us, he took our place so he could take God's disfavor for us. That's what was happening on the cross. So not only did Jesus Christ become sin for us, He became a curse for us. He took the curse of God that you and I deserve. But there's a third reason that the the Father turned away from the Son. Jesus became sin and Jesus became a curse. But third and related, Jesus became the object of God's wrath. Jesus became the object of God's wrath. Let me read to you some verses from Isaiah 53, a passage written hundreds of years before Jesus Christ actually died upon the cross. But listen to what this passage says, predicting the death of Jesus. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Speaking there of Jesus Christ. But He, Jesus, was pierced. Do you hear that crucifixion language? Pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement, the punishment that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him, upon Christ, the iniquity of us all. And then if you fast forward to verse 10, the Bible says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. In other words, for God's holy standards to be satisfied while at the same time providing redemption for sinners, God had to punish someone in our place. God had to punish sin because He's holy. And as Jesus Christ became sin, God the Father punished His Son. 
That's what was happening on the cross. The the theological term is propitiation. Jesus Christ absorbed the wrath and fury of God for us. The, The wrath that we deserve. Jesus took it. Jesus died in our place. So it was impossible for God to maintain loving communion with His Son and pour out His wrath on His Son at the same time. And so as he poured out his wrath against our sin, as he punished our sin on the cross, the Father turned away from the Son. William Hendrickson says it like this, He as our substitute suffered most intense agony, indescribable woe, terrible isolation or forsakenness. Hell came to Calvary on that day. And the Savior descended into it and bore its horrors in our stead. That's what the cross is all about. And so in that moment, as Jesus Christ becomes sin, and Jesus Christ becomes a curse, and Jesus Christ is being punished by the Father, He cries out in anguish, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, being a parent, you learn to discern the cries of your children. As a matter of fact, last night I was, I was laughing because uh, our, our baby boy, he's almost seven months old, he, um, he was in his crib and he wanted somebody to come get him, so he was crying. But it wasn't a real cry because he'd stop every few minutes to listen to see if you were coming. You know what I'm talking about? He kind of, kind of, and then he'd stop and, or, and then he'd cry some more. It wasn't, I know he wasn't in distress. He just wanted to get picked up from his crib. But also, last night, Claire and I laid down, we were in bed, and, and my daughter shrieked. I mean, it was piercing. And, and boy, I, that was a different kind of cry. I got up, I, and I ran to her room, and it was a bad dream, and we dealt with all that. But, but, but it was a different kind of cry. And as a parent, you learn the cries of your children, don't you? So can you imagine the father... God the Father, hearing His Son cry out in anguish. And all the Father could do at that moment is turn away. We can't even begin to wrap our minds and our hearts and our souls around the piercing pain in the Father's heart. And the piercing pain in the heart of Jesus at that moment. So I hope that you see that this cry was a cry of anguish. But secondly, this cry was a cry of accomplishment. Accomplishment. So wait, I don't see that. He says there, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's translated for us. I don't see any kind of accomplishment in that. How is this a cry of accomplishment? Well, in the first century, they didn't have the, the chapter and verse numbers in their Bibles the way that you and I do today. And so in the first century, if someone wanted to refer to a psalm, 
they would just say the first line of that psalm, and you would know by them saying that first line what psalm they were talking about. For example, in the first century, if I wanted you to read the 23rd psalm, I would say, the Lord is my shepherd. And you would know what psalm I was talking about. Well, guess what? This phrase, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? is the first line of the 22nd Psalm. And so, in a manner of speaking, and I believe this is why Jesus cried out with a loud voice. In a manner of speaking, Jesus is saying, Psalm 22! Psalm 22! He wanted people to to turn their attention as they thought about the cross to that psalm. Now just imagine with me for a moment that you are a bystander at the cross. And you were Jewish and you had your Hebrew scriptures there with you. And and you saw Jesus hanging on the cross and you heard him cry out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You would have thought, as a devout Jew, Psalm 22. Psalm 22. And just imagine that at that moment, standing at the cross, you turn over to Psalm 22. Now turn with me. I want to show you how you would have been amazed to read Psalm 22 while while surveying the wondrous cross. Swade, what would have been so amazing about Psalm 22? You would have seen that Psalm 22 was a prophetic passage that spoke clearly of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And as you read that passage, which was written about a thousand years before the cross, you would have been astounded. And as we read this passage written, that was written a thousand years before Jesus died at Calvary, we should be astounded. Because when we look at Psalm 22, we see the predictions of the cross. There are several interesting, specific things mentioned that happened at the cross, that are, that are predicted here in Psalm 22. Again, written about a thousand years before Jesus actually died on the cross. First of all, mocking was predicted. Look what it says in Psalm 22, verse 6. David wrote this psalm under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. As he wrote these words, he was writing down the words of Christ, what was on the heart of Jesus as he hung on the cross. But I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Psalm 22 predicted that when Jesus was on the cross, he would be mocked and jeered at. And if you read over in Matthew 27, verses 38 through 44, you see that's exactly what happened at the cross. matter of fact, that phrase, he trusted in the Lord, let him deliver him, it's actually said on Golgotha. So hundreds of years before Jesus actually died on the cross, it was predicted what would be said at the cross. Also predicted was the thirst of Jesus. Look what it says in verse 14. I am poured out like water 
All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. People that were crucified, who hung on a cross for hours, experienced agonizing, excruciating thirst. Classic, severe dehydration. And the Bible predicted that Jesus on the cross would be dehydrated. As a matter of fact, next week we're going to study where Jesus says in John, I thirst. That thirst was predicted. Also, piercing was predicted. Look what it says in verse 16. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. If you read over in, in John 19, you see they crucified Christ. And the way they crucified people is by piercing their hands and their feet with, with nails. Now, you know why it's amazing that in this passage, Psalm 22, it speaks of piercing? It's amazing because when this passage was written, crucifixion wasn't even invented yet. It wasn't a, a way that that armies would carry out the death penalty or governments would carry out the death penalty. It wasn't around yet. We don't see crucifixion until about the 500s B.C. uh, under the hand of the Persians. And so here, a thousand years before the cross, before there was ever a such thing as crucifixion, prophetically written down, it says that Jesus would be pierced. Through his hands and through his feet. Amazing. Amazing. Let's just say, to, to illustrate that, let's just say that baseball season starting, spring training, all of that. Let's just say that I predicted today that the New York Yankees are going to win the World Series. Hope that happens. We'll see how it all plays out. Now, if the Yankees actually won the World Series, you would think, okay, maybe Wade knows a little bit about baseball. Um, but, you know, there's only, what, 32 teams and, you know, lucky guess, you know, good job, Wade. You, you know, maybe you know a little bit about sports. But it wouldn't be that impressive if I were to pick the World Series winner today. It wouldn't be that big of a deal. But what if someone 800 years ago predicted a winner in a game called baseball that had never even been played yet? wasn't invented. There was no such game as baseball, and yet they, pre- they predicted a game with bats and gloves. That would be pretty impressive, right? That's what we have here in Psalm 22. The Spirit of God is speaking through David to, to predict and prophesy what would actually happen when Jesus died on the cross? So predicted we see mocking and thirst and piercing, but we also see gambling. Look what it says in verse 18. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing, what do they do? They cast lots. And if you read over in John 19, 23 and 24, that's exactly what they do. The Roman soldiers cast lots, gambling for the clothes of Jesus, playing games at the foot of the cross. And a thousand years before the event, the gambling of the Roman soldiers was predicted. Wow. And so when Jesus is saying, Psalm 22, 
Psalm 22, directing people's attention to that psalm, he's directing people to the predictions of the cross. And here's what we need to understand from all of that. The cross was not some afterthought on on God's mind. The cross was planned out in the heart of God before there was ever a created order. Before Adam and Eve ever sinned, God had a rescue plan in place that culminated at the cross of Jesus Christ. God had it planned out. God carried it out. And Psalm 22 predicted that it would happen. Jesus was not a victim of circumstances beyond his control. The cross was planned in the heart of God. Predicted hundreds of years before the event. But I believe Jesus had something else in mind in addition to this. When he in essence cries out, Psalm 22, Psalm 22, I believe... That at that moment, Jesus is speaking of the accomplishments of the cross. Because if you keep reading Psalm 22, you get past the the details of the crucifixion narrative, and you get to the results of the crucifixion. What is made possible because Jesus died on the cross. And look what it says in verse 24. First of all, we see here, That the separation between God the Father and God the Son would not be permanent. Look what it says in verse 24. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. So what we see here is this. The, The separation at that moment when Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did not last. It's interesting to note... That right before he breathes his last, Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. So after Jesus became sin and became a curse and took the wrath of God in our place, God the Father and God the Son came back into loving communion with one another. That relationship Restored. Can you imagine the joy of that moment? And Psalm 22 predicted it. Where, where Jesus, in essence, is saying, I will not be abandoned forever. I will soon be restored to my Father. And that's pictured in Psalm 22. But there's another thing pictured here. His death, listen, would make salvation available to all the people groups on the face of the earth. Look what he says in verse 27. Remember, he's on the cross. Psalm 22, Psalm 22. And look how Psalm 22 culminates. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. Watch this. All the families of the nations shall worship before you. In other words, because Jesus Christ of his own volition laid down his life at the cross of Calvary and died for our sins and the sins of the world, one day there will be people saved from every tribe, every tongue, every language, gathered around the throne of God singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. And so as Jesus Christ cries out, Psalm 22, Psalm 22. He's speaking of the victory of the cross. He's speaking of what the cross would secure. Available salvation for the ends of the earth. 
And so, if I had to sum all of this up in one point, here's how I would sum it up. As he took our sin and bore the wrath of God, Jesus experienced excruciating separation from the Father for our sake and for the sake of the nations. Hey, everyone look at me for a second. Aren't you glad that Jesus went to the cross for you? Now listen to me. There are people in this world, billions, that don't know about Jesus dying on the cross for their sins. And yet, His death purchased this wonderful salvation for all who would believe and turn to Him. And there are so many that do not know about the accomplishments, the the victory of the cross. How can we just sit and enjoy our personal salvation and have no concern for those that are lost and perishing and on their way to hell, separated from God forever, not knowing that Christ died for them. Jesus experienced excruciating separation from the Father for our sake, praise the Lord, and for the sake of the nations. Let me say it like this. Jesus on the cross was alone so that we might never be alone. Jesus experienced separation that we might experience eternal security. Jesus suffered so that we might be saved. Jesus was forsaken so that we might be forgiven. Jesus was abandoned by God so that we might be accepted by God. Jesus was condemned that we might be converted. And Jesus was punished that we might be pardoned. That's what this fourth cry from the cross is all about. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?